Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, I'm doing a new program that I'm calling Wednesday Night Chats. This is a Facebook Live that'll be happening every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific on my business page, which is on Facebook. It is facebook.com slash thecognitivecanine. I hope that you'll join me over there. We're going to be talking about basically all things what to do with dogs in a pandemic. How do we prepare our dogs for when our lives go back to normal? How do we socialize puppies right now? And... If we can't get out to do a decompression walk, what are we supposed to do? So join me over there. It's a free program, but I am accepting donations for it. All the details will be included each week. So that's facebook.com slash the cognitive canine Wednesday nights at 5 p.m. See you there. Okay, to wrap up the Barky Lungy series, I've got an epic Patreon questions episode. So We've got questions about things I talked about in the episodes, things that I haven't talked about, and and then some. So again, you guys, these are questions that were submitted via Patreon, and that is patreon.com slash cogdogradio, where you guys can be a part of the conversation too. And I hope that you get a lot out of these questions because I got a lot out of answering them. Here we go. First of all, I got several questions regarding equipment. So I'm just gonna go over a basic overview of the equipment that I use, um, and then we're gonna move into the the questions about the material. So questions kind of range from what muzzles do you like to how long of a long line do you use? And I am not gonna name any brands. And the reason is I name them here and there throughout the podcast, so if you're really looking for them, you can find them. But truthfully, it's because I'm not interested in unpaid advertising. So rubber basket muzzles are what I like. Try to imagine yourself wearing it. See if you you would think it would feel comfortable. Uh, Currently, we're all kind of wearing muzzles. They're face masks, but know that comfort is not a given with things on your face. So really think about it there. And then as far as long lines go, I like biothane and I don't like anything longer than 20 feet because it feels too much to manage and anything less than uh, 10 feet is kind of just a leash to me. So 10 to 20 feet, my long lines are 20 feet long. All right, first question submitted comes from Jennifer. She says, my 13 month old border collie exhibits barky lungy behavior on walks in our neighborhood when he sees other dogs walking. When we are at an agility trial or walking other places like hikes, either it on or off leash, he is fine. What would be a reason for the difference in this behavior? So I got several questions regarding, you know, why is my dog act one way in one scenario and another way in another scenario? And the answer is learning history. Um, we as humans, we often think that the antecedent um, is the cause for behavior. The antecedent is not the cause for behavior. The consequences are what drive future behaviors. So your behavior doesn't come out of nowhere. 
comes out of a mixture of your genetics and your environment, but then whether or not that behavior continues on into the future has to do with learning history. So learning history is typically why the dog would act one way in one scenario and another way in another. Sam asks, I know a couple of dogs who get themselves too worked up so that they can't eat or disengage with whatever it is they're upset about. I'm assuming they're in an environment that's too hard. But they are like that almost every time they are on leash and once off leash, they are normal. So how do you incorporate leash training to a dog who's normal, who is normal off leash? So this is again a why do they act different in one scenario versus another type of question. And learning history once again is the answer. And learning history is the solution to this problem as well. So you would need to simply incorporate um, leashes in a variety of scenarios. And I would go deeper to say that the leash is probably not the only difference between um, this set of behaviors and the other. Probably there are scenarios in which the dogs are typically on leash versus not. And if they were off leash in those scenarios, you know, who's to say how they would be acting? But a good kind of baseline thing to hold on to is that if the dog is not eating, then the dog is not in a kind of functional mindset for you to be teaching. So you do need to get them to a place where they have a functional mindset and then build up from there. From Leah, is it possible to see real measurable change in reactivity in a specific context when the same behavior is allowed to continue in other contexts? Example, I'm currently making a huge effort with my dog's leash reactivity. However, she has been allowed to continue her barrier reactivity simply because I'm not always outside to train or soothe when the neighborhood dogs are out on their walks. I'm focusing so much on the leash stuff because I want to expand her world and improve her quality of life as much as I can. The goal is to be able to do a group class at some point. Am I fighting a losing battle by allowing her to continue these fence showdowns while we work on calm leash behavior? So kind of like the last two questions, you certainly can have a different set of behavior in one scenario and another scenario. But this scenario has a common denominator, which is other dogs, and the dog is showing the same behavior. So for your dog, just the presence of the other dog is enough um, to trigger these behaviors. And I would say that you are not going to progress as quickly as I would like if the behavior is still allowed to continue in other contexts. So I think some heavy management to help it not happen anymore in any other context is probably in order. From Suzanne, what is the prevalence of dogs being able to still interact appropriately with other dogs outside of the home if they have an aggression issue with a dog inside the home? Um, and that's pretty paraphrased because Suzanne I know a little bit about what's going on in her life and I wanted to kind of streamline the question for everybody. So in my experience, these things are unrelated and I know that um, that might be hard to kind of grasp or understand, but I've known plenty of dogs in my career who were perfectly lovely with dogs outside the home, but had a nemesis inside the home that they wanted dead. And the reason is, again, context reinforcement history in certain contexts. It's also really normal to develop ongoing conflict with 
dogs that the dog has to live with and there's a big difference between an ongoing conflict and just a generally socially inappropriate dog. So the dog could be socially perfectly appropriate everywhere um, with all other dogs and then have an aggression problem with one other dog in the home and that happens all the time. It can also happen vice versa to where the dog is perfectly lovely with his household of dogs but cannot tolerate any dogs outside of the house. So I would consider them very different um, and I would observe the dog's behavior to allow you to understand what behaviors are likely to happen in the future and what behaviors um, are likely to happen in which scenario. From Gracie, are there any situations where you consider a mild aversive appropriate for barky lungy behavior? Um, and then Gracie kind of goes on to describe a mild aversive, a mild aversive that she has been using and she doesn't want to be using it, um, but it is really helping her in the meantime. So is it okay? Is it not okay? Um, and Gracie, I just want to thank you for your question because I'm sure a lot of people have this question. And the answer is, um, you know, I do try to take a Lima or least invasive, minimally aversive approach to my training. I try not to reach for aversives first. Um, having said that, I am not going to stand in judgment on something that is helping you. What would be important for you to consider would be what is the fallout associated with the use of this tool? Am I seeing any fallout? Um, the specific tool that Gracie mentioned, which I am intentionally leaving out, you guys, um, I the only fallout that I've really seen is kind of generally shut down behavior. So the dog be, this dog simply does less. So it's not just that you have suppressed the bark lunge, but you've suppressed usually a collection of other behaviors as well. Um, which is not, you know, that's not something that's not kind of on my goal list. I don't want the dog to have an overall general behavioral suppression because my point in reducing barky lungy behaviors is to give the dog a bigger world. And if the dog's going to be given a bigger world, then I want him to have his full range of behaviors with which to kind of act in that world. If you're using that mild aversive, um, you're doing it because the barky lungy behaviors have occurred. And I would say that the access to that tool has probably allowed you to put the dog in scenarios that he wasn't actually ready for um, because you had that backup plan and that tool in in your back pocket and so I would say what would you do if you didn't have that tool and try to go from there and then maybe keep it in your pocket just in case you do need it um, but go forward trying to avoid using it, therefore trying to avoid those barky lungy moments. All right, from Wesley. My puppy's very friendly. She's good about sitting and laying down, allowing other dogs to come to her or approaching slowly so the other dog doesn't feel rushed. The issue is that if the other owners has owners have a dog that is not friendly or doesn't want to approach, she barks and jumps like she wants to attack um, when all she wants is to be friends. So this person is after, you know, wanting to teach the dog to approach other dogs in a calm manner or allow other dogs to approach in a calm manner or ignore other dogs if that's what the situation calls for. And Wesley also mentioned that the dog finds other dogs more rewarding than any food treats. So it overall really, really sounds like you've got a dog that is kind of what I would call on the hypersocial end of the reactive spectrum. The behaviors the dog is doing, the barking, lunging, acting like she wants to attack, 
not okay and need to be treated just like every other reactive scenario. So the entire um, four episode series up to this point basically explains what I would do. And I would definitely go that route and treat it like reactive behavior because that is what it is. Doesn't matter if it's coming from a friendly place or a fearful place as far as I'm concerned. All right, from Mackenzie, if at all possible, um, I give my dog a way to put some space between her and an incoming dog. So Mackenzie's kind of talking about um, being on a trail and having a dog approach that she has no control over. So she goes on to say that um, she'll try to get the incoming dog to disengage as well as to, um, she'll let her own dog know that she sees the incoming dog and that everything is fine. At that point, so kind of if she can orchestrate everything correctly, the introductions usually go well. But that's not always an option, right? Because sometimes incoming dogs are not friendly. Um, and then, you know, do I have any suggestions on how to manage the incoming dog without feeding into my dog's panic as much, right? Because yelling and stomping, etc., might scare your dog. So this is a common question. Uh, basically, how do I handle intruders? How do I handle a dog that's going to approach and kind of ruin my session? This will happen. So first of all, accept that it will happen. Put aside your anger about it um, and cover your own bases. If your dog is going to um, bite snap at etc the other dog your dog should probably be muzzled you should have a product on you that will allow you to break up a dog fight without putting your hands in it i like spray shield and from there there are a couple different ways you can stop an incoming dog so you can throw a handful of food at their face that's the easiest thing to do is just pelt them in the face with food they will stop they'll start to eat the food out of the grass and then you will get away um or you can open umbrella an umbrella towards them, keep your dog behind the umbrella and kind of shield your dog with the umbrella. You wanna train your dog ahead of time to accept the umbrella. And I like, um, Mackenzie had mentioned that her dog was older, nine and a half years old. And so I like that you're trying really hard to protect that dog from other dogs. And that would be my main focus um, in my work with that dog would be to just protect her from being bombarded from those crazy Crazy youngsters. So this one comes from Patricia. I have a friend who corrects um, her dog for growling when other dogs violate his comfort zone. The dog has never escalated beyond growling and posturing, so I don't think there's much risk of injury. I'd like to help her understand what's happening and to help the poor dog. How would you approach the situation? You're asking a couple of questions because how I would approach the situation from a training standpoint is one thing, and I think I've talked about that in the last three episodes, the growling. But how I would approach it with my friend is this. If it looks like it's working for my friend, I leave it alone. If I care more about the dog than I do about my friend, then we're, my, we're maybe not that close of friends. Um, and I'm careful about who I spend my time with. And if I don't like this person, then I don't keep hanging out with that person. Um, and if I do, then I might say, you know, out of context, hey, I've been listening to this podcast about dog behavior. You might wanna check it out. I think there's some interesting stuff going on with your dog. If you're a professional trainer, um, which Patricia, I don't know you, so I don't know if you are. If you're a professional trainer and you wanna advise your friend, a couple of pieces of advice there. Number one, here's what I do with my friends. I say, do you want me to be a trainer or a friend right now? And if they say, just be a friend, I shut up and I don't give them any advice. If they say a trainer, then I tell them what's on my mind. And that way I put the 
the cards in their hands. I say, do you want my advice or not? And then if they say that they do, then I give it to them. Um, if they're the kind of person that will then become argumentative, I tend to drop it. So this is kind of about, this isn't about dog behavior, this is about human conversation. And generally speaking, if this is not your client, this is your friend, and it's actually fine, and the dog is fine, and nothing is actually going that poorly, I wouldn't worry about it. And if you are worried about it, talk about it out of context. From Andrea, in regards to letting the hopefully rare outburst play out, if the trigger moves away during the outburst, um, so maybe the dog park dogs run off and play, etc., are our dogs getting reinforced because the trigger has left? Um, and could it end up similarly to dogs that bark out windows? Like, yes, I barked, I barked away the mailman again, we're saved. 100%, Andrea, that's why it's very important to try to avoid those situations. The whole point of letting the reaction play out is in hopes that the reaction does not get reinforced. So um, if the other dogs in the dog park run away, etc., like, yeah, it got a big fat paycheck. It's why it's just one of the many, many reasons that avoiding reactions is a good idea. Okay, this comes from Team Two Dog. Any thoughts about Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde dogs? Um, and they go on to talk about, you know, one of these, again, scenarios where the dog is very different here versus there. So they say that the young Border Collie is the sweetest dog ever, except for when he isn't. And his personality changes abruptly in a variety of specific situations, such as when the blind and deaf 17-year-old dog accidentally bumps into him. Um, or a recent house guest whose size and or behavior he found troubling. <laughs> uh, three, when hit, or, you know, third, when his arousal goes over the top in agility, which happens quite quickly. At these times, he transforms abruptly into barky, lungy, also bitey, personified. The defining characteristics are the abruptness of the transition. It turns off as fast as it turns on, and that, and there's a variety of triggers as well. So all of which occur in settings he is ordinarily able to handle with his custom customary sweetness. So a lot of information, but not quite enough for me to give a, you know, a full picture here. So I'm going to say I want you to relate back to um, remedial socialization and make sure that the other dog is extremely comfortable with both people and dogs. Because it sounds like you've got a dog that's just kind of got a hair trigger temperament. And guess what? The dogs we make we produce for sports, they have hair trigger temperaments. You know why? It makes them phenomenal at their sport. It also makes life a little bit hard for them. Different things are hard for them to kind of roll with. Like he, this dog gets pissed when your 17 year old dog accidentally bumps into him. Man, I've got a dog like that too. It gets mad when the old deaf dog is being stupid and not listening. I, and it's just, you know, they're unable to go, oh, he's deaf, it's fine, right? And or they're unable to roll with this house guest who is maybe louder or bigger or whatever than the house guests normally are. That's the temperament that you're dealing with. So you've got to be sharp enough, astute enough to be watching this dog um, all the time and watching, watching these different settings and scenarios to make sure that if you see the dog begin to ramp up, you end it. And I'm gonna say, this is particularly important in agility. If this dog is getting himself into an unhealthy, crazed state every time you do agility, you need a break from agility until you learn how to handle that. I would recommend uh, joining my Worked Up class, which will be running in the June term at Fenzie Dog Sports Academy. 
All right, Jill is asking about her dog that is barky lungy towards other dogs when he is within his home territory. So in the yard, on the deck, nearby on the property, but he never displays this behavior anywhere else. So kind of what's going on? What's the difference in this behavior? I think we're talking about very normal dog behavior, which is when I'm on my turf, I bark at others. We can call, you can label that however you want. You can label it territorial. Um, you can label it possessive. I, I don't care. It is normal for a dog to display behaviors like that when there's an intruder advancing on their home. If you don't like it, you're going to want to intervene with several different, um, not several different, but any one of several different uh, behavior modification plans for it. But generally speaking, if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. I like it that my dogs alert me to intruders. I don't like it that they alert me to a new person on the trail. So I make sure that, um, and don't like it, meaning I don't like it if they bark and charge a person on the trail. They do tell me if someone's coming and they tell me nice and I like that. Um, so work on things that are a problem. If it's a problem for the dog to be barking at passersby, then work on that specifically. And I wouldn't necessarily use the protocols in this podcast for that. Um, I would use more of a, you know, differential reinforcement procedure. So not the differential reinforcement procedures that I laid out in the last episode, but um, certainly some other protocols. All right, from Aaron, my dog is barky lungy on leash if dogs get within 10-ish feet. Um, the dog will freeze at 30 feet or so, sometimes with shivering, and sometimes at big distances will get spooked and run to get out of dodge. So these, these are big distances. So it's kind of a dog that has the reverse of what we were thinking, like the dog sees the dog away on the horizon and starts to freak out rather than when the dog gets close. Um, and so Aaron is not sure what the right distance is to start working the dog. Always, always ask the dog, can you eat? Can you respond to simple cues? If the dog can eat and respond to simple cues, then you're fine. You are not over threshold and you're ready to begin. Um, and I would say that you could treat the really far away things as a totally separate issue from the really close things. But if they are the same trigger, it's related. You're just seeing a different um, set of behaviors. And I think it's just that there's a line at after which aggression kind of is the inevitable response. Your dog would like to choose running away. So it's fight or flight. The dog would like to choose to leave, becomes afraid and shivering and staring. Think of a deer in a field spots a wolf in the woods. The deer is not going to attack the wolf. The deer is also not going to run yet, okay, because they're not sure that this is happening. So they're just looking and calculating. Um, I don't want my dog to have those thoughts. I don't want my dog to think another dog approaching is a wolf, right? I So I would work really hard on uh, the remedial socialization piece as well as the de desensitization piece with this dog. All right, from Midori, the dog seems friendly or interested in approaching a dog and then will change to a very upright posture once she is up close. Can't get her attention verbally, so I'm forced to apply gentle leash pressure to get her to move away, which probably adds to a growly eruption. Um, so the change in behavior happens so quickly, so dog appears friendly, interested, then becomes kind of stiff and unsure. Um, Midori is just wondering, you know, is there a quick test to help us decide if we should be moving closer um, or, you know, or should we use food because I don't want to bring the other dog in with the food, etc, etc. Midori, go through the whole protocol that I laid out. 
also don't put pressure on your dog's leash when they're saying hi to another dog. Even if you think something bad's going to happen, it is very likely that you have actually created the tension and the barky lunginess by pulling the dog away when another dog comes up. So stay out of it. Act as if your dog is off leash. Interrupt with throwing food at the other dog or with spray shield, as I said before, rather than dragging your other dog out of a situation where she doesn't feel safe. And then definitely dive into the content in the last few episodes because that's what that's what we need. All right, from Leslie. My dog is usually fine with other dogs and people, except for being a bit of an over-greeter. Um, here we're surprised, however, if we're surprised by a dog or a person, like an elevator door opening and bam, a dog is there, the dog can be barky lungy. He's fine at agility trials usually, except for the occasional random dog, and it's kind of unnerving when that happens. But I'm always scanning for possible surprises when we're out together. Not sure of what protocol I can implement to help him with the surprises. So, a lot of dogs are really taken aback if if somebody shows up that they weren't expecting to show up. And that's pretty normal. That happens to you too. You're just a person, so you expect to see people more often. Um, if the elevator door opens and no one's in it, you know, that's one thing. If you're in a busy office building and the elevator door opens and there's people in it, you probably expect that. But what if you forgot something in the office, you go back in, um, it's, one, it's like, you know, midnight or something and you... You rush in, you put in your security code, you go up, you get your thing, you go to go back out, you hit the elevator button, it opens and somebody's in there. I'm just going to bet that you would be startled. Um, I would be startled. I would probably panic. I might even become aggressive. Okay, so human version of Barky Lungy. That's their world, you guys. They don't know the rules. They don't know that there's going to be somebody in here. Um, and I would also say, how old is this dog? Because if it's a baby... Um, it's just being a normal baby dog trying to learn what's normal in the world. And it's really important that you let the dog bark and lunge and figure out that nothing comes of it and everything is fine and everything is normal. I would also dig really deep into remedial socialization and desensitization. This is really important um, if what he's barking at are always social surprises. So if a person or a dog are the surprises that are causing this dog a problem, the dog needs remedial socialization with people and dogs. Um, you know, if it's more like you turn the corner and there's a fire hydrant or a trash can and the dog freaks out about it, that sounds more like a developmental fear kind of issue. Um, you don't tell me how old the dog is, so I'm not sure if that's possible. But generally speaking, that's going to be your answer is dig into that remedial socialization, help the dog just kind of, the dog just have his barky lungy moment. You stand there and go, okay. I don't know what you're freaked out about, but I'm not freaked out. It's so important, you guys, that we do not feed into their reactive behavior. If they're freaking out, the last thing that you should be doing is freaking out. All right, Tegan. Tegan's got a little bit of a complicated question, um, so just kind of bear with me while we read through it. She says, this has me stumped and I'm not, I've not seen it addressed in any of the literature on reactivity. Eight-year-old mixed breed, she seems to honestly just really enjoy barking at other dogs. After reaction, she's just so jazzed. Here's an example of what I'm seeing. We're at the dog park watching dog TV, sitting 30 to 40 feet away from a busy footpath and every five minutes or so a dog walks past. The vast majority of the passing dogs don't even seem to notice her. It's an ideal setup. She's relaxed, hanging out nicely. Some of the dogs she ignores, some she'll ignore until they're passed and then bark after. Others she'll bark at a few times, spin, sniff, and then plop down in front of me and immediately pop her hip to the side, sigh, scent the air, 
Um, to me, it really looks like she's bored and trying to elicit a reaction out of the other dog. This looks distinct from her actual over-threshold routine, lunging, barking, pyloerection, and a longer recovery time with lots of adrenaline shake-offs. When she looks like she's trying to get a rise out of other dogs, if I cue her to a different behavior, she does it easily. Um, versus when she's in a true over-threshold reaction where she really needs a scatter and a few minutes of low excitement before she's really responsive. But I don't want to manage this. I want to heal it. What do you think? I think that... Um, it's very common and normal in breeds that were bred for any kind of, I'm going to call it conflict-based work, to be addicted to what I'm going to call action. So what the hell am I talking about? Conflict-based work, bite sports, or biting type of work. So any, you know, the dog that is bred to apprehend a suspect, whether for fun or for real, um, a dog that is bred to fight other dogs, to fight bulls, to fight, um, you know, anything. Terriers bred to go to ground and kill things bigger than they are, right? So anything that is bred for conflict, um, conflict-laden types of work is going to enjoy or get more of a kick out of a little bit of a fight or a little bit of an argument. You've probably met people like this. Um... It does sound to me like you have two sets of behaviors going on and one stems from true boredom and the other is kind of your true issue. Are they related? Yes. Would I treat them the same? Yes. Except that I would do less desense with this dog. I would do, um, or I would do my desensitization in such a way that if the dog watched other dogs calmly, I would then go away from the other dogs and we would have a really serious game of tug, something like that. Um, and I would almost respond with being more boring if the dog tried to get a rise out of the other dogs. So I don't know for sure, but those are my thoughts. Um, those are my thoughts on that. I would still do the entire protocol as I laid it out, but I would keep those descent sessions really short and I would punctuate them with fun. But the punctuation needs to, it's not about if you're calm, then you get action. It's about, we're going to go do a calm thing. Then we're going to go somewhere else and do an action-y thing to make sure that your action needs are met. And then we're going to go do a calm thing again. So let me know, Tegan, um, over on Patreon if you have some more thoughts on that. All right, from Ellen. We live in a challenging busy urban environment as it is. And now with social distancing protocols in place, the amount of people and dogs out walking has doubled. Man, I hear ya. Um, additionally, our previously empty decompression walk slash hike location is now packed. It feels like every walk we run into a really reactive dog or get charged at the fence and my nine month old puppy has become increasingly nervous and defensive on leash. And then also due to the pandemic, we're sorely lacking positive or even neutral dog experiences. There are no private lessons, no class, no playdates with friends. Is there anything I can do to prevent his reactivity from worsening and keep his social skills from deteriorating? So Ellen, a few things. Number one, I hear you. We're in this together. My hike spots are packed too. I'm driving much farther than I used to to have peaceful hikes um, because you turns out when you take away people's options, they do want to go outside. Um, so a few things, number one, I did 
a Wednesday night live chat on the Cognitive Canine Facebook page about puppy socialization in the pandemic. So, and I will link that in Patreon and you definitely want to check that out. The other is that this is why so many dogs are reactive in the first place is because the only places you have to take them, reactive dogs are everywhere. So these suburban puppies are literally trained to be reactive by their neighborhoods. So you do want to drive further away get real decompression in, stop worrying so much about socialization, worry more about decompression. Um, we are not supposed to gather with friends. If you happen to show up at the same trailhead as a friend and kept, you know, 20 feet of distance and let your dogs interact, I wouldn't tell anyone. Um, and it probably is a good idea. Do not panic about the quantity that your dog is not getting. Do try to make sure that there's a little bit of quality experience with other dogs. Dog parks where I live are not allowed right now. They're closed down. So dog park TV, not really an option right now. Um, that's a bummer because I would say to go do that with your nine month old. But um, in general, now's the time to get decompression style exercise for this puppy. Stop exposing the puppy to reactive dogs. It is important. So that means you're probably going to walk less and drive further in order to walk more. And I wish I had a better answer for you, but know that your concerns are very real and you definitely want to try to avoid it. The other thing you can do is just go to busier parks. So go to like a city park where you're going to see like 25 different dogs and most of them are probably going to be okay because the people live close to that park and they walk there every day. So rather than these dogs that have not been leaving their backyard their entire life and who are now being walked because of the pandemic, that's not who you want to be around. You want to go to your busier city parks where the residents of that area have been walking every single day. And that doesn't mean there's not going to be barky lungy dogs, but it means there's going to be less. All right, Andrea, keeping it vague so no one gets in trouble, but can you talk about creating reasonable goals while keeping genetics in mind? We can all agree that any breed can be trained to walk on a loose leash. Arguably, any breed can eventually be reliable off leash. But do you think there's a baseline level of social etiquette we can expect from a healthy adult dog? Andrea, um, good question. Smart question. Absolutely, genetics matter. Of course they do. And you want to be talking to, if you want a dog social adult, you want to know that the parents and grandparents of the puppy that you're purchasing are dog social. And you want to ask really good questions as far as that's concerned, because people like to use labels. They like to say, um, well, this dog's, you know, he's kind of dog selective or, um, you know, this dog's kind of a normal level of snarky with other dogs. You know, these are these are red flags. Actually, you want to ask more questions, dig deeper if that's happening. Um, Certainly, there are dogs and there are breeds of dogs who are unlikely to be dog social as adults. I think they can all learn to bypass a another socially appropriate adult on a hike without an issue. I do think that they can learn that. Um, it's going to be harder in some scenarios than others. But I don't think that all of them can be friendly um, or even socially interested into adulthood and that's true of a lot of different breeds um so you do want to keep the breeds and the breeding in mind if you need dog social dogs you asked specifically about social etiquette that is learned yes there's a baseline level of social etiquette that i expect all dogs to have other dogs teach them though 
And they learn it best when they're young, period. So that's where socialization is very important. Okay, this is coming from Lynn. How do you handle a dog that is primarily reactive to the scent rather than the sight of another dog? And this is a really interesting question because Lynn goes on to say that uh, they could be walking their dog along calmly and then turn a corner past the street and the dog will explode, bark, lunge while spinning around looking for another dog. So Lynn is assuming that the dog is smelling another dog when the dog freaks out. The weird thing about scent, you guys, is that we can't see it, so we don't know. Um, and then Lynn goes on to say, it happens daily. It's hard on both she and her dog. She says, he only does it does this within about a mile radius from home, and I don't know how to work through this. We can't foresee or prevent that he constantly goes over threshold. So I would say you don't know enough about the triggers. You've assumed that it is scent but I want you to do a deeper dive on that. I want you to say, and where does it happen usually? You're saying it's a mile radius. Does that mean it's the entire mile from your home to wherever, or is there actually like a line that perhaps another dog is walking every day? You know, like dig in, do a deeper dive on it, avoid those areas. If you can do that deep dive to where you can predict it on some level, like watch the other behaviors, watch your dog so, so closely so that you're seeing the other behaviors that the dog is doing before they have the reaction so that you can start to help that dog do something else in general. And I would also challenge you to walk somewhere else and see if you get the same issue or not. So go another place, get in the car, go somewhere else, go walk somewhere else. I feel like we don't have enough information. If it is truly dog scent that the dog is reacting to, um, and she's saying that the dog was severely reactive to all dogs, but after classical conditioning and desensitization program, the dog's doing better. Um, if the dog is generally pretty good elsewhere, then there is that there could be some scent that's that's freaking him out. If it truly is scent, you could certainly go classical conditioning um, and desensitization route with only scent. You'll just need to actually collect some dog pee from somebody else, which is gross, but a reality. Um, and I, honestly, I'd treat it like anything else. Go through the differential reinforcement procedure in the presence of the dog's urine, you know, something like that. Don't think of it as something that is insurmountable. Treat it exactly the same as you would. If you did a program that helped this dog, do the same program, just do it with scent. All right, Ariana says, I'm having a hard time finding people, trainers, dogs to do practice setups with. Um, I've contacted a few trainers that don't do setups. Do you have any advice on how to find people or trainers that do setups? We have come so far with my dog's reactivity. However, the next closer proximity practice are very hard to do when you don't have friends with dogs. Um, what is the best way to do remedial socialization if you have no friends with dogs? This does not seem like something that is readily available for most people. All right, Ariana, first of all, I only do setups in the descent, in, I'm sorry, the differential reinforcement piece. And I think you know that now. So Ariana submitted this question early, early in the process. Um, so I only do setups during that time. And I would, you know, reach out, definitely show some videos to some trainers, say, hey, can you help me with this? Um, it is the least crucial part of what you're doing, though. The remedial socialization and the desensitization are the most crucial parts. Remedial socialization is hard to do if you don't know people with dogs, but it's not impossible. Okay. 
Also, I don't know who these people are that don't have friends with dogs. I don't have any friends that don't have dogs. So the other thing to do is get into a dog community on Facebook. Start to get to know some people with dogs because if you really do want to help your dog, you're going to have to start there. I would say go start by doing dog park TV. Go start with desensitization. See how far you can get with desensitization, utilizing the dog park, and then try to make some friends with some of the people that are in the dog park. Eventually with desensitization, the dog will often approach the fence, say hi through the fence. Maybe your dog will make a friend through the fence and then you can you know, utilize that friend to help your dog's remedial socialization. I realize it's logistically a nightmare. That's why I want more trainers to be using these protocols to help people. Maybe you send the podcast episodes out to some trainers and say, hey, anybody want to help me? And I'm sorry that this is such a struggle for you, Ariana, and I really hope that you have some solutions soon. Christina asks, how do you modify your remedial socialization for dogs who find dog-dog corrections reinforcing? If... During dog-dog interactions, the helper dog corrects the student dog, but the student dog ignores the correction. Do you intervene? If so, is this purely for the benefit of the helper dog, or do you think the student dog learns from it? Interesting um, in-depth question here. Basically, if the dog that is being socialized is being corrected and is continuing to pester the dog that is correcting him, then, which I have seen, then yes, the dog is finding the corrections reinforcing because they're finding any kind of attention from the other dog reinforcing. That's where the dogs that are best for those dogs are the ones that are going to ignore them. So not correct them, but just literally pretend they're invisible until they're appropriate. Those are the most socially savvy dogs. You may not have access to those at first. If you don't have access to those at first, I would intervene for the sake of the helper, not for the sake of the student dog, because the student dog will learn nothing if you step in and intervene. Um, Much to my chagrin, I would like them to learn that like, hey, she told you no, and I'm going to back her up, so back off. Yeah, they they just kind of don't figure that out. Um, I would also utilize splitting, which basically means splitting is kind of a dog trainer word that means a couple different things. In dog social body language, it means walk between the two that are having a potential conflict, and I will post some videos of splitting over on Patreon. Um, Okay. Rendina says, what's the best way to intervene if your dog looks like he's going to react to an approaching dog or one that you need to walk by? What's the best way to help a dog learn that other dogs are not going to kill him? So that's two questions. The best way to help a dog learn other dogs are not going to kill him was outlined in the last three episodes. So you'll definitely go back to those. But best way to intervene, um, again, if everyone is safe and you have put yourself in a situation where the dog's going to have a reaction, allow the reaction to occur. Take a deep breath, anchor yourself, make sure everyone is safe, ride it out. If you can ask the other person to hold still, do so. That's going to be unusual though, right? Like you're trying to pass somebody on a trail. So this is where I would also teach my dogs some management behaviors. So I teach my dogs to put their collar in my hand so that I can hold them or manipulate them via the collar. I teach my dogs to eat a scatter out of the grass. um, And I will post some videos of that over on Patreon as well. Generally speaking, If the dog has decided he's going to react and he's locked on to that other dog, there aren't a lot of things you can do. Make sure everyone is safe and ride it out. And don't kill yourself over it because it's real life. 
All right, Diane, I love the desensitization without the classical conditioning. Is it so much more relaxing? It is so much more relaxing for both of us. If the dog has already learned to turn toward the handler for a treat in response to the appearance of a trigger, what would you suggest? I have started using verbal praise, cue a simple behavior, or a small treat scatter. Other thoughts? So Diane, if you're truly trying to carry out a desensitization protocol, I don't want you to feed that response anymore, but you can certainly praise it. I would praise it, maybe scratch the dog, and then keep walking. Um, if it's a behavior that you don't want to die down, though, just keep feeding it. All right, Jessica says, I listened to your Barky Lungy episode in which you recommended boredom therapy. You specifically suggested letting the dog set the distance and moving closer when they seem to want to. My dog will sometimes lose his shit at other dogs from a distance, but sometimes he wants to get closer. Lots of wiggling and whining and then proceeds to lose his shit when he gets closer. So how do I tell what distance to keep him at? Perhaps a distance at which he's interested, but neither shit losing nor whining. Yeah, Jessica, so I would be paying close attention to can my dog eat and can my dog respond to simple cues? Rather than saying, what other behaviors is my dog doing? Is my dog capable of those two things? If my dog is capable of those two things, we're at a fine distance. If you're doing desensitization, though, so like let's say you're doing dog park TV and you don't want to be doing a bunch of cued behaviors and cookies, um, just make sure that neither the whining nor the barking lunging get the other dog to come closer or go away. So that's where planting yourself outside a dog park for him to just watch is ideal. If a dog at a far distance appears and is getting closer, you are no longer in desensitization land. You need to switch into differential reinforcement land. And when you do that, then we go back to my original question, can the dog eat and can the dog respond to simple cues? So when you're in DRA land, differential reinforcement of alternative behaviors land, you know that you are far enough away if the dog can eat and respond to simple cues. Hopefully that answers your question. Definitely let me know if it didn't. All right, another question from Rendina. Question about remedial socialization. When meeting certain new dogs, my boy tends to get very tall, stiff, and raises his hackles, and he might growl. I can see how having him wear a basket muzzle would make me feel better about these interactions. However, I worry about how he's feeling in these situations. Usually, the other dog is behaving nicely. However, mine acts like he's got to put out these huge displays. Does he just need to work through this in order to realize he won't die? How do I help him realize that other dogs are friends without overwhelming and flooding? So, Rendina, I'm going to have you try to do more desensitization than remedial socialization for a while. Your dog does seem to have very big feelings about other dogs approaching. Um, and to go off of, Rendina has another question about, does dog park TV have to be a lot of different locations? Is the dog going to generalize or not? So I'm going to tack that onto this question and say that the dog needs a varied experience of desensitization. And one of my favorite ways to do that is parallel walks with other dogs. You guys, I could have recorded 700 episodes, maybe not, but at least 20 on Barky Lungy behaviors because we didn't even get to parallel walks. <laughs> it's just a part of my desensitization protocol. So we might go out in a field with two dogs on a long line, maybe in muzzles, and we're all just kind of zigzagging the field and being near each other. That's both desense and remedial socialization, depending on how things go. So it's the dog learning that the other dog is boring, but also that the other dog's not going to kill him. So if your dog stiffens and growls and gets upset, 
Other dogs should not be allowed to approach him. So you should have it orchestrated to where the other dogs are not approaching him or are ignoring him on the walk. So the best dogs for your remedial socialization work are going to ignore him. Definitely put him in a basket muzzle so that you can ignore him too. Okay, and the last one comes from Jennifer. I was thinking about remedial socialization for my barky lungy three and a half year old male border collie. He reacts explosively on trails with dogs going by. Sometimes it's a bigger reaction and sometimes more subdued. He does not behave this way at agility trials and training for whatever that is worth. I have friends with some very neutral appropriate dogs. However, my boy isn't neutered and some of the dogs I'm thinking about also aren't neutered. Generally, I notice my dog is better with females. How do you take into account intact dogs being used as dog savvy dogs or is it something that you don't worry about? Correct, it's something I don't worry about. I only worry about it if the dog shows me that they have a problem and I try not to call their problem an intact male problem. It's still aggression. Whether it's aggression that is only directed at intact males or not, it's still aggression. So I, I would not worry about it. The only thing I would worry about is if there was a, a, an intact bitch that was near or in her cycle, I wouldn't have all the intact males near her because you're asking for a fight in that situation. Um, but generally speaking, if he's better with females, start with females and then go with smaller males, neutered males, and then kind of build it up. But I know in the agility world, we've all got intact males, right? And I would say I would not worry about it unless it is a problem. So if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. And I don't know about you, but my dogs need to tolerate um, other dogs regardless of their sexual status, right? And so it's not a bad idea to also involve them in your remedial socialization work as long as those dogs don't also have aggression problems toward other males. The worst thing for a young intact male that's puffing his chest out is to be around another young intact male that's puffing his chest out. That is the worst situation. What they both need is older intact males that are not taking it from them who are like, I don't know what you're puffing your chest out about, dude. Everybody's fine here. And they need bitches who are like, yeah, you think you're cute and you're not. <laughs> um, this might be similar to humans as well. So you guys, we're gonna wrap up our Barky Lungy topic. I've got some overarching themes here that came through in the questions. Number one, understand dogs are very clear about what they can and can't handle. Listen to them. They're very clear with their behavior. Don't puzzle too much over why the dog can do something in one scenario and they can't do it in another. They're just telling you what scenarios they're good with and what scenarios they're not. And your job is to help them to feel good in both scenarios if they need to be. And then only the dog's behavior is going to tell you what's working and what's not. So if you say, I've been doing this for six months, it's not working. It's not working. The dog's behavior, behavior tells you what is working. Nothing else tells you what is working. So best of luck, you guys. This has been a fun topic for me. Thank you so much for your questions. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron.